Hi, I'm Lisa Morton, founder of Roland Dransfield PR. Welcome to We Built This City. With this podcast, I wanted to shine a light on the people who have put the heart into modern Manchester. You can build a city with bricks and mortar, but it's the people that make Manchester great. People like my guest, Yvonne Harrison. Sport is built upon volunteers, without which we wouldn't have community clubs, we wouldn't have elite players because no one would develop anywhere. Yvonne has been pivotal in the evolution of the grassroots sporting landscape in Greater Manchester over the last 10 years. She went from volunteer to CEO of Greater Sport, where she was responsible for getting Greater Manchester more active. She's held the growth of Project 92 as Managing Director and she's an active executive figure in the sports and charity industry, including Chair of Foundation 92. She's just launched Drive UK to help businesses with their corporate social responsibility or environment, social and governance strategies. Put simply, if you've ever been active in Manchester, your world has crossed Yvonne's. I'm really looking forward to talking to her because I think you'll struggle to find anyone as passionate about community relationships and your health and she's the embodiment of purposeful relationships. Yvonne, welcome to We Built This City. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. You're Manchester born and bred, born in Gorton, grew up in Trafford and Stockport where you live now with your family and your three children. Everyone who comes on We Built The City has accomplished so much, often under the radar without asking for any recognition. And I've known you for quite a long time now, but when I actually did the official research for this podcast, I actually couldn't believe how many high-level positions you've held, uh, mainly in sport, voluntary or otherwise, that you've had in your career to date. So what is it about sport that has held your interest for so many years? I think sport for me, it's been such a massive part of my life. I loved playing it at school, you know, from being a young child. Um, I just loved the buzz that you got when you were playing with your friends and you felt exhilarated. And and that sort of carried on through, I guess, my secondary education. Um, PE was my favourite subject. And thankfully, my youngest child also loves PE because the other two definitely don't. So I feel like I failed in some <laughs> way there. <laughs> but the one out of three is not too bad. Um <laughs> And yeah, I guess it's given me so much, like it's taught me amazing skills that have been so useful for life, like how to win, unfortunately, how to lose. But you need to know that in life and in business, how to communicate well, how to be a good member of a team, all those little things, the softer skills that actually alongside any qualifications that you get are so, so important because they're the human factor. It sounds really cliche, but sport to me has been everything. And it's actually guided my whole career, as you can see from from the things that I've done, the people you meet, the opportunities that you have, the buzz when you you know you're at a game or a match, or it's just incredible from a participant point of view, from a volunteering point of view, you know, from a leadership point of view, and as a spectator, we've all watched incredible sporting events, and yeah, it's just amazing, and it's a huge part of my life. And it also really brings people together. It's a, a real connector, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, Nelson Mandela, sport has the power to change the world. And it absolutely does. It's a unifying kind of thing. Um, I mean, it can be divisive as well. Let's let's not beat around the bush on that. People have their tribes and we defend them to the max. But actually, yeah, we're at its heart, sport reaches places that other things can't. When you think about social inclusion, when you think about really challenging agendas, when we think about um, the environment, I know you podcast with um, Emma I think it was last week it was great and what a powerful opportunity there is for sport to almost help to articulate the environmental challenges that the planet and the world are facing and use the power of the brands and athletes and ambassadors to really get that message home about individuals doing more and companies as well uh, sort of getting more involved so it really is a very special and unique thing and, and it's something I'm hugely passionate about. It's very topical now, isn't it, in terms of how sport has used its platform, particularly over the past 12 months, to really, as you say, drive home some very, very important messages around race or social deprivation in some way. What's really stood out for you in the past 12 months that you feel, you know, proud to be involved in the sports industry? I think for me, the one of the biggest things is that inclusion factor. And yes, there'll be people who have opinions around, you know, sport isn't inclusive. And of course, there are lots of areas where it can be massively improved. But 
it can break down barriers. It can provide a platform to be able to kind of share some of the things that are really important in society. And we've seen it with gender. We've seen it with race. One of the really interesting things of like, I think around sort of the pandemic has been, you know, the ability to be physically active. And we've seen sort of shifts in people participating in exercising different ways, you know, walking, cycling, running have gone up quite a lot. Team sports have obviously reduced massively because we're not able to participate. But, you know, that's on the horizon now, which is really exciting. But there are huge inequalities in sport, just like there are in society, just like there are in health. And I think that's really highlighted um, through the pandemic. And I know a lot of investment and resource and effort has been put in the last few years, but certainly moving forward will be put into um, reducing the inequalities. And sport is a great way uh, to do that through that sort of mechanism and people accessing things they perhaps wouldn't access without that sports audience but it can then open up a whole range of other opportunities to people so I'm really sort of I guess touched but always challenged by the power of sport because we can still do so much more you know the rates of people participating whether you think of people with a disability you know I've been hugely affected by the pandemic and you know their rates of participation in sport were already lower than people without a disability and now they're massively different so it's almost like whilst sport can pat itself on the back and say it's great in terms of social inclusion and what it can do we also really need to challenge ourselves not rest on our laurels and in those comfort zone spaces ask the difficult questions and make sure it's available to everybody and what platforms do we have i mean particularly in in the in terms of supporting people with disability in sport and obviously the, the rugby league world cup this year that's the first time you've ever got disabled people playing alongside able-bodied people, which is amazing. I mean, it just seems that it's just such a recent achievement, that, though. Yeah, I mean, w- I suppose we, if we look back, you know, the Commonwealth Games here in Manchester, it really set a precedent for um, kind of more inclusive competitions and giving sport for people with a disability the same platform as non-disabled people. And I think, you know, almost you look at the different Commonwealth Games that have happened since, they've really used what the city of Manchester did as a way to inform um, their events. And, you know, that is something that we can all be hugely proud of here. I think in terms of are we doing enough around um, disabled sports, we're doing an awful lot, but we need to listen more. You know, the Activity Alliance have done a huge amount of research uh, with people who have a disability to understand more about how they would like to participate. Often we assume that um, disabled people want to participate with other disabled people, and in some instances that's the case, but not in all. So how inclusive are our community uh, grassroots sports clubs? How inclusive are our PE sessions and after school clubs at school that's where we really need to sort of look and then obviously those other major sort of events are a platform to really showcase the wonderful achievements of people elite athletes with a disability so I think we are doing a lot but I genuinely feel we're not really scratching the surface there are a lot of disabled people who want to participate in sport don't have the confidence to do it, don't know how to do it, want to do it with their friends and can't. The Royal School for the Deaf, you know, it's based in Cheadle. It's an amazing organisation and they run a programme called CADS. And that is about enabling families to participate together because actually even just as a family who don't have anybody within it within a disability, it's difficult to get involved in family activities and things that you can all do. So when you throw in complex needs into that, it's really challenging. So there are some great examples here in Greater Manchester of things that are working well, but there's absolutely loads more that we can do. And it starts with listening and really understanding the research that's out there. Just going back to grassroots sport, I had Diane Medal and we built this city in the last series. She was passionate about running but felt that she's on the wrong side of the tracks to be able to even access that. And it was only when a coach who saw massive talent in her and decided that he was going to support her and champion her and literally take her to the training sessions, did she actually have those opportunities open to her? And I sit on the board of the Damodal Sports Foundation and the work they're doing in the community with young people is amazing. It still strikes me that there is, as you say, there's such a lack of availability or it's just access still for people who maybe just don't believe that sport is within their grasp, that they can be an elite sports person. Yeah, I think there are lots of opportunities out there, more now than there have ever been. But imagine you're a young person who hasn't been to a sports club before 
that's quite a daunting thing, particularly if you want to go there on your own. So I do think that the opportunities like the foundation and lots of others that are out there really going into schools, into communities where young people are and encouraging them, almost handholding them to come to the activities is so important because if that young person finds that thing that kind of ignites them, the possibilities are endless. Now that might mean, like Amy with Diane's foundation, you become an Olympian and you achieve these incredible things. But it might just mean that as a young person, you find something you love. It helps to build your confidence and your resilience. It means you're more focused within other elements of your life. It may mean that you can cope better with some things that are perhaps not going well in your life. Um, It'll create friendships. It'll develop those soft skills that I talked about earlier. And suddenly you're a much more well-rounded young person and you can be a participant for life. I've always played sport and been active. That's not to say it's always easy because often things get in the way, but I've always loved it. It always makes me feel better. And I've never played at an elite level. You know, my dreams were dashed as a youngster in secondary school as I trialed for county at netball. And I was a good shooter, but I wasn't tall enough. Now, there's nothing I can do about my height. You know, it's just one of them things. It was a harsh lesson to learn, but it didn't put me off. I carried on playing, you know, to club level and helped set up a junior club and did all these amazing things. But yeah, I think... We have to do more, particularly for young people who come from areas that would class as socially more disadvantaged. The cost is prohibitive to some people, but also it's not just about that. It's about the family support. I have three young children, as you said before, and, you know, I take them here, there and everywhere. There's two of us, there's three kids. They all need to be in different places. It's tough. Um, You've got to be really committed to it. And not every person has that. So for me, it's about what can we create locally on the doorstep that's fun and engaging. And if it leads to other things, that's incredible. And what an amazing story. But if it doesn't and that young person just stays and plays and enjoys it, that is a success. It really is. Totally. And I've done the same. I mean, my son played football. He's 22 now and he played football from being five and I've stood on the side of a pitch, you know, several times a week for a long freezing. time. I really miss it now. <laughs> freezing cold. But, you know, I made friends when he's got his football mates now. So even though he doesn't play for a club anymore, he's got his football mates and they're really important to him. And that was the one thing that I think in the past 12 months has really stood out is the fact that how much grassroots sports has been impacted. So you have got young people and, and lots of people who are engaged and get so much support and enjoyment out of grassroots sports that just haven't been able to connect via that yeah it's been really difficult and we've seen nationally you know figures drop in terms of participation levels which isn't surprising interestingly Mm. they've dropped more for boys than they have for girls so girls have found other ways to be active which is quite interesting it might suggest that boys are more heavily involved in team sports and girls have taken upon more virtual kind of classes dancing and, and different things but it's definitely affected them my own son is 10 he plays for a local football team he has desperately missed it he's missed his friends and and expending that energy you know young Mm. people should be moving 60 minutes a day fact you know physically getting their heart rate up and actually in greater manchester we have nearly a third of young people don't move for 30 minutes a day when you think of the implications of that in terms of you know lifelong habits but also people's health and their mental well-being it's a catastrophe that's sort of waiting to happen so I really do hope that as things open up people get the opportunity to go back because their ability to cope with other stuff in life their mental capacity is really positively impacted by being physically active so let's hope that that happens I know my son can't wait he just cannot wait to get back I think the point you just made there about girls is really interesting because the whole this girl can movement. I mean, I was massively into sport at school and team sport and also athletics. So, you know, I did solitary stuff as well. You know, after university, I carried on with solitary stuff because it was very difficult to be part of a basketball team or, you know, an athletics club, I suppose, that age. 
but I did keep it up. And there's obviously a huge, there's been a massive, well, you've been involved in the whole kind of netball movement again, which is incredible to see older women going back to play netball who may have not played it since school. But team sports, there seems to be much more opportunity for boys after education than there are for girls. But it's interesting how girls have found it easier to maintain keeping fit because they're used to doing it by themselves. Yeah, definitely. And I think if I look at my daughter, she spends a lot of time on TikTok doing crazy dance routines. I mean, there can't be a song. I mean, yours will be the same and she's a lot older, you know. There's not a song that comes on that suddenly she's not swinging her arms around and doing some random and I'm like what are you doing but you know actually it's made dance much more accessible to people I think you know when in another 10 years when Clara's out and about she'll probably be out sooner but I hope not uh, you know she (laughs) the dance floors are going to be rocking aren't they they're going to be busting some moves way better than you or I talking about getting Manchester moving and as I say you know we have seen so many more people out on the streets walking with the families which is great cycling it doesn't look like that's going to go away anytime soon which is fantastic and I know that there are plans within GM to make sure that continues with safe cycle routes and all that kind of stuff you've been involved in helping Manchester to move for a very long time haven't you since you joined Greater Sport in 2005 I think as a volunteer just explain what the whole purpose is behind Greater Sport Yeah, I mean, it's a charity in Greater Manchester and it really is here to support people and organisations to get more people moving. So it's an amazing charity. It's somewhere I grew up, like you say, coming in as a volunteer and leaving as CEO after four years in that position. And it's something, you know, I always look back on with fond memories and it's probably the proudest sort of time of my career, actually, uh, because we made such significant changes. The reason it's so important to get people moving, and it doesn't mean that you've got to be an elite athlete, it doesn't mean you've got to do a team sport, it just means moving for your own health and well-being. The economy in England is kind of affected by a lack of movement to the tune of £325 million a year. So because of lack of movement and inactivity people are perhaps unhealthier they have more conditions we have over 50 million days a year lost just in the northwest region alone and through absenteeism through being unwell and if we can keep ourselves well we can keep ourselves in work if we keep ourselves in work we keep the economy moving and that's so important in a connecting everybody to sort of the economic growth of the city region you know and the ambitions here in Greater Manchester so it's really important that people move for their own physical and mental well-being as well as all the other things that we've talked about in terms of those softer skills and connections and not being isolated you know if you think of people who perhaps move to Greater Manchester or a good friend of mine moved to London you know the first thing she did was see what kind of activities what clubs are in the area because that's a way to make friends it genuinely is and whilst it's daunting for people perhaps to go and do that for the first time you soon realize that if you're in it you're in it and you're kind of part of the clan and you've got those connections and and we're social beings aren't we 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 want to do that so great manchester moving and greater sport really is about creating that movement and i guess that started a number of years ago before andy burnham became mayor actually and it's a movement i'm just so proud of and it continues today well beyond me and it's continued to grow and evolve with Haley at the sort of helm of greater sport so yeah it's hugely ambitious we're trying to get 75 percent of the population in greater Manchester moving by 2025 it's no small feat that would be doubling the rate of increase in previous sort of years to get to that point and it's helped because greater Manchester is so forward thinking you know it's backed by Andy Burnham it's supported by the health and social care partnership you know we created movements here and partnerships and relationships with Sport England that have never been seen before, which ultimately led to a very significant investment in a local delivery pilot in Greater Manchester um, and some really interesting learning that's coming out. You know, you can't just create opportunities and assume people are going to come. And perhaps for years that had been the case, but now it's about listening to communities and understanding you know we are both female Lisa but we might not like the same things you can't treat us in exactly the same way Um, so it's about understanding what people want and what will motivate them to get moving and like you say this girl can is a wonderful campaign Um, it's about real women doing things that they want to do I always remember the the advert of the girl who was 
you know, really sweating. She was pounding some pads with the boxing gloves that it, you know, I think the caption was something like under under these gloves is a perfectly executed manicure or, you know, it was just really <laughs> cool. And it's just about keeping it real. Um, you know, you're going to get hot and sweaty if you move in that way. And that's absolutely fine. You know, nobody needs to be picture perfect all the time. In fact, I spend my life far from it. But, you know, occasionally I'll make the effort. <laughs> and generally then people notice because you don't normally <laughs> No, I'm with that now. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Although I do box now, which I've found in the past 12 months, absolutely, lo- absolutely the best thing I've ever done. Great I mean, tension. Weight training, amazing, then boxing. But you cannot go straight into a meeting after that for sure. No. So yeah, I'll be regulating my working days around <laughs> Let's boxing. Let's just hope they don't make um, Zoom like laptops smellable. <laughs> <laughs> no. I do think though that you know, we've done a PR for Barry's boot camp, launched them in, in Manchester, amazing team to work with. And they very kindly gave us free sessions to take clients to. I know you were doing Barry's yeah. a lot. We actually then, we did our meetings and working day around Barry's and I, we would do the same now because I think it is that important if you can train as a team, but just to make sure that people do prioritise some exercise every single day. I think it, and I think going forward, that'd be one of the really great things that we'll take out from this past 12 months. I think so, yeah. I think it'll be really interesting to see how companies adapt. You know, we've heard of companies saying that they're not moving back into offices at all. We've heard of companies saying we're going to, but we're going to downsize the space and that type of thing. I think, you know, how do you create a culture if nobody kind of is in the same space? Now, I get the remote working and it's certainly helpful and flexible and all of those kinds of things. But when you're a new person joining an organization, you cannot underestimate the power of the corridor chat, the cuppa Mm -hmm. chat, you know, that type of thing. So I think it'll be really interesting. I hope, absolutely hope that organizations recognize and really encourage and empower their teams to move. You know, we used to give people a certain amount of time in the working week to go and exercise kind of on our time because I think you have to lead by example. It's really important. And there's other, you know, walking meetings. There's loads of ways people can just sit down less because a lot of people think, oh, you know, you have to go and bust it in the gym for an hour, an hour and a half. But if you sat down for the other 12 hours, that's not good either. You're like, we need to move regularly. Get up from your desk, have a walk. So yeah, I hope organisations take a lead from organisations like yourself, really. Um, and I do think there is a good thing about training together. I think you just have to be really careful, again, about that inclusive sort of approach because not everybody can do certain types of activities quite daunting, quite hardcore. So it's just about having that variety to engage everybody. But I think definitely the walking meetings, I speak to lots of people now and we do, and I do lots of walking meetings myself and they're brilliant. And you started the Daily Mile, didn't you, in Manchester, 2018? Yeah, it probably was, you know, it's been a while and they've just relaunched like a really cool free toolkit for organisations. Mm. So it can be for schools, it can be just for anybody, it can be at companies. Um, just get out and do that mile. It's, it's mm. not difficult. You don't have to get hot and sweaty because I appreciate not everywhere has got showers. Not everybody wants to go and run in the middle of the day and then be sat at their desk you know I get that but there's really no excuse and if you think about it if we don't take responsibility for our own health and well-being all we're going to do is put pressure on an already pressurized NHS and it's unnecessary it can be avoided like things like just regularly moving and exercising can reduce you know type 2 diabetes by up to 50% it can reduce different types of cancers by up to 30% it can reduce depression it can reduce heart disease and i'm not saying it's the only thing that can do that but it plays a massive role and you know we as individuals have to take some responsibility for our own health and that of our families and our friends and those people around us. You know, we we need to be the Pied Pipers and motivating each other to just move that a little bit more because it has huge, huge impact. I expect to see lots of walking, talking, going around Manchester, I think. And also the other thing that Andy was behind, I know you got involved with, was actually it making it actually okay to wear trainers because then you are more likely to go and walk right across town than get an Uber. That day is definitely here now, isn't it? You're going to be able to go anywhere in a pair of trainers after the past 12 months. Yeah, definitely. Um, And there's some really cool footwear out there that's, you know, flat and it's comfortable. And I was speaking to somebody the other day who (laughs) said they had a cupboard at work with about 15 pairs of shoes in, which is just hilarious. Way bigger office than I've got, clearly. But, um, you know, it's that sort of thing of if you are wearing more comfortable clothing, you are more 
likely to move 100%. And we've all done it, haven't we? You know, trekked across from spinning fields to the northern quarter in a pair of heels and, and your feet are absolutely killing, whereas it's so much easier if you've just got flat shoes on. So, yeah, I think it will become a thing that's much more acceptable um, and it should be encouraged. I had chill blains from being about 21 when I first started working. I used to get the bus into Manchester in the morning in a pair of heels and tights. <laughs> And they've got those flags in Manchester on the pavements. They're still not mended where they flip up when you stand on them. So you just go <laughs> soaking wet feet. So it's that won't be happening anymore. Just talking about, I want to talk to you about volunteering because I know that is something that you've done a huge amount of throughout your whole career from being very young. Chris Brindley, MBE, who's a friend of both yours and mine, we've both been mentored by him, although bizarrely we were both being mentored by him and knew each other and didn't know that mm-hmm. he talks about the emotional bank account and by putting more in than you take out and for me you're somebody that, can, that embodies that so why has volunteering always been so important to you it's been really important to me because I feel like my existence is about helping people and that sounds really cheesy but I just feel like I was kind of here to help people in some way shape or form and also it's an embedded part of the sport culture you know sport is Mm. built upon volunteers without which we wouldn't have community clubs we wouldn't have elite players because no one would develop anywhere so you know as part of being involved in sport you mucked in like that's what you did you know we we had tournaments Mm. we all mucked in um I remember sitting at Domino's netball club and we had a committee meeting and I was on the committee and and we talked about what about the next phase of Domino's players and before we knew it we'd committed to setting up a junior club and there was probably three or four of us off the main committee who decided yeah we're going to do this and honestly the skills that I learn in terms of recruiting other volunteers selling what volunteering is about because you know if you listen to some people everyone needs to get paid I'm not doing anything for nothing but the skills that you learn the network that you develop the reward that you get from just from volunteering like the mm. the kids that are so happy that you're there to the parents that are so delighted that you're there to take them off their hands for an hour you know <laughs> all of these things um are just massive and you know i attribute a lot of my career to volunteering like a hundred percent because without that experience you don't land those first jobs you know when i was ceo of greater sport we used to get maybe 70 or 80 applications for an entry-level job most of those people who applied had a degree which is great and I'm not taking you know I've been through university myself I won't take anything away from those academic qualifications because they show you can commit and that you've got a good academic level of understanding but what sets you apart from the other 79 well it's what you do outside of that it's not what you're getting paid for it's not what you're studying for it's actually what are you giving of yourself to other people to help them and within Mm. sport you know I would argue that the majority of people who are employing people would be looking at that sort of thing and it's something I've continued throughout my career because obviously I was at Greater Sport for a very long time so I always was conscious that I'm only seeing things through one lens so I did Mm. volunteering on other committees in non-executive positions because I felt that that was a way to get more broader experience than I was getting from within um, my day job. You really do get a lot from it. Yes you're giving your time and sometimes you don't have the time to give the time but you've committed so you've got to and you just got to like suck it up it is something that I'm very passionate about. Um, and I have a lot of young people who speak to me and say, how did you get to where you're going? Or, you know, you speak at conferences, particularly around gender equality in sport and different things. And how have you managed that? And, you know, it's all about what you give because ultimately those decisions, those relationships, that learning that you develop, it's a full circle and it will come back around. It will absolutely come back around. So, I recommend it to anybody, whether you're involved in sport or not. There might be just something else that you love. It might be animals, it might be art, it might be drama. It doesn't matter. Just just do it, as um, a very well-known brand would say. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree with that. And, um, you know, I say that to young people too. Make sure, you know, you've got some stuff where you've just done some stuff for free and you've not asked for the thanks on the back of it. Do it with a happy heart because you're in flow then aren't you things do come back to you just by definition of you putting yourself in those opportunities that you're just not going to get if you expect to be paid for them definitely and the thing is if people ask people to do something you know if a young person gets in touch with me and says I'm doing a dissertation in 
you know, X, Y, and Z in sport. Can you answer me this question? And they basically want me to answer the whole dissertation for them. <laughs> not, not really. I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> but if they say, you know, can I have half an hour of your time, an hour? Can you talk me through this? Can I help understand that? Most people, like you and I and others, would go, of course you can, because it's really nice to be asked. And we're not bad people. You know, we will give back because so many people have given their time to us. So I think... People should get involved in volunteering at any age, actually, because it's all a learning experience. And I'm yet to find anyone on this planet who's learned everything. So we've all, you know, we should all be a sponge and keep absorbing because otherwise life would be pretty dull. And the fact that the last 12 months, there's been so many volunteers, even when people were really struggling themselves, that has actually stood out for me, that most people have got an innate desire to, you know, make life better for other people, even if they're going through crap themselves. Yeah, I think that sort of community spirit has really come alive. We've seen some wonderful examples of people, you know, helping people who were not able to get to shops or not able to pick up medicine or, you know, Foundation 92, which I chair, is a charity based in Salford and you know we've been delivering food parcels we've had a befriending service on the phone it's just been amazing and you know the last 12 months ago was foundation 92 we just appointed our first head of foundation so we had one employee we've now got 14 full-time you know 17 casual coaches our work in the last 12 months I couldn't be prouder of the team they've grafted uh, but they've really listened to what the community have needed and there'll be lots of community groups and foundations and organizations and charities that have really responded so positively and I just hope people as we move out of the pandemic really hold on to some of that because it will have been beneficial to them as well as the individuals or organizations that they've helped just explain what Project 92 and then obviously Foundation 92 is. I went to work across Project 92 a couple of years ago. Um, so effectively, it's kind of the sport and education portfolio of the class of 92, X-Man United players. Within that, obviously, you've got a brand new higher education institution in Trafford, uh, which is UA92. And then Foundation 92 is the charity. So it's the official charity partner of Salford City Football Club. It was founded by the class of 92 who, you know, have had incredible careers within football, um, but are genuinely really decent human beings and wanted to give back. And they wanted to give back in... Um, a positive way and in a way about subjects and, and things that mattered to them. So homelessness, mental health, encouraging more people with a disability to take part in sport, perhaps encouraging young people who are at risk um, of offending or of committed offences, you know, to just come back onto the straight and narrow and use sport as a powerful tool. I actually chair that charity and it's a real honour to do so. UA92 is, oh, it's just incredible. Um, you know, I've been to uni a couple of times, but if I was going to uni now, that would be the place for me because they place such an emphasis on developing your life skills, you know, your financial literacy, your communication skills, your leadership, your ability to work in a team, your ability to kind of understand yourself because that's a really important thing. And how many people do we know who are great at what they do but they just don't understand or appreciate the impact positive or negative that perhaps they have on other people so all of these softer skills alongside the academic kind of rigor and learning that you need to ultimately you know get your degree or other qualification that you're going for then you decided to pass the baton on and you've just recently launched your own business strive big deep breath and in a really <laughs> difficult time so what was it about now that made you decide to to make that jump I guess there were a couple of reasons as why now felt like the right time. I have a number of non-executive director roles and a couple that aren't yet sort of in the public domain. And the one or two of those that are at a point where they require a fair bit of input, probably more than you can give when you're working full time. Some of the work that I was working on and in particular one project for the class of 92 was very dependent on certain markets that are not currently open so we have an amazing concept and something that's hugely exciting but it kind of needed to pause for now just because of the world and how it shifted and you know no one can can sort of predict that and I guess I've always I've always imagined having like a portfolio career of a number of different things that I'm doing because 
I'm a dot joiner. I love connecting people. I love seeing different opportunities and bringing those things together. And it just felt like there were a few things sort of coming into play that presented an opportunity to maybe, just maybe, kind of push out on my own. So I had a chat with Gary about it and he was so supportive. Like, I just, I can't be thankful enough for how supportive he was of me and kind of the ambition that I've got and the things that I wanted to do. So, yeah, I just decided to take the plunge. So I spent a little bit of time thinking, you know, what is this business going to do? Because, you know, I've I've been CEO, I've been non-exec directors. Now, I'm not a specialist in things like HR or marketing. And so how do you sell kind of the breadth of what you can do? And are people going to buy it and all that sort of stuff? But actually, I came up with Strive. I wanted something that was going to be personal to me the word means a lot because it's always about you know keep going and don't give up and strive for that next thing and the targets you know and and excel and I spelled it with a y because why not uh you know my name begins (laughs) with a y so that was a little bit of me in in my company name without it being you know called yvonneharrison.com So yeah, I launched in January, had an incredible response from people and you know going back to that point of you know, playing it back and forward and and really valuing your network and the people around you. Like you really, really do kind of get a sense of how valuable that is when you take that plunge and go out kind of on your own, um, if you like. And I'm so grateful for the people who contacted me to wish me well and the people that have contacted me with opportunities, really interesting opportunities for work. So I'm working through a lot of those at the moment. So I guess it just felt like the right time had there not been a global pandemic, would I have made the leap now? In all honesty, probably not. But if not now, when? Yeah. You know, um, all my friends have been amazing, really encouraging me to just go for it and you're going to be fine. Um, and I've had, you know, I've had some major wobble moments because who doesn't uh, when you're setting up on your own? It's scary. And obviously the kids have been off school, so that's been particularly challenging in terms of my capacity. But they're back now. Um, I've got some really interesting projects on the go. And I feel like I've gone back to school. Like I feel like I'm learning so much all over again. I definitely think there's a there's a, a niche out there to help people set up businesses because it's quite confusing <laughs> if I do say so myself. But yeah, it's not that's not a route I'm going to be uh, going down just yet. And it's wonderful that clearly all the work that you've done and all the good stuff that you've put in means that people support you in going off on your, your own journey. So it's the hell roots and wings. I mean, Gary's you know got you back and. It's wonderful that you don't have to sever any of those relationships in order to move forward into something that's important to you. Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm a true believer in building really purposeful, strong relationships. I think the world of sport, the world in general is a small place, but the world of sport is ridiculously sport. Lots of people know each other. And I just feel like, number one, it's not in my nature to to not be a good person. And there are plenty of them out there, let me say. But um mm. I'm not going to be that person. So I've always tried to treat people as I would want to be treated, always tried to help other people, do a lot of mentoring and that type of thing. And I think good karma comes, you know, in that sort of situation. So, yeah, I've been I've been really fortunate. But then equally, I kind of think if you invest in relationships, you prepare, you go above and beyond, you know, you help people haven't even asked to be helped, but you can see an opportunity in your link. People don't forget those things and people will want to do business with people that they can trust and that and that they like. Um, you know, I am hopefully a very personable kind of girl. I always thought my network was good, and but I didn't realise how amazing it would be you know, long-term, that long-term investment in those relationships. It's not about meeting someone, you know, doing a bit of business and see you later. That's not my approach. If that's how people want to kind of operate, that they're probably not for me in terms of my business and what I do. Um, but Strive is all about helping, you know, businesses to be a better version of themselves. I'm particularly interested in corporate social responsibility and supporting businesses that genuinely want to do good, but just don't quite know how to go about it. Um, Yes, you can make a donation to a charity, and yes, that will be grateful and received, of course it will. 
But what if you had the opportunity to engage your entire workforce in the kind of good that you wanted to do and understand how they might be able to contribute and how good they would feel if they were part of this sort of process? Mm -hmm. um, whether that's, you know, engaging the community, engaging a sports community, being uh, more proactive in terms of the environmental approach of the organisation. Um, there's just so much that can be done in there. So whilst I'm doing, you know, a lot of sport related work at the minute, helping write a sporting strategy I'm helping another organization with their sports charity in terms of its governance and how that sort of progresses I'm doing some cool work with mentoring and coaching which I love you know there's also this kind of corporate social responsibility piece that I'm really chomping at the bit to do more on and looking forward to kind of exploring you know organizations that want to do that and just aren't quite sure how how to go about it really see the opportunity there we're finding that more and more organisations are coming to us for us to help them with that. And there's a real appetite, more so now than 12 months ago. And that, you know, people want to work for organisations and engage with organisations who have that, who are purpose-driven. So I think it's wonderful and I think you'll absolutely smash that. One thing that did interest me, actually, on the website, you refer to that your approach is a friendly, non-judgmental mank disposition. <coughs> absolutely love it. And it captures you to a T. <laughs> so why are being non-judgmental and mank such important values to you? Why would you judge? How would you feel if you were judged? I think if organisations are coming to you for help or advice, the last thing they need is somebody saying, oh, you shouldn't have done that. You know, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's not what I would do. And yes, I know there are people in the world who are quite direct who would absolutely do that, but I wouldn't because I wouldn't want that to be done to me. So for me, non-judgmental is so important because I'm listening with open ears and I'm listening to try and understand. And once I understand, I can then kind of support an organisation to kind of go, OK, this is why you did what you did. And that worked you know, well for this reason. But perhaps this, this and this are things that we could maybe sort of take forward. So I think I think that's the first thing. I am a friendly girl. Yes, we can all be super, super professional and I am professional in everything that I do. But that doesn't mean that you can't have a laugh, that you can't be a human being and accept that everybody bleeds the same. Do you know, um, everybody's got families, everyone's got stuff going on or friends or whatever. So I'm quite real when it comes to uh, meetings. You'll always add to add 10 minutes onto the meeting because I want to know about how life's going uh, before we get down to sort of the nitty gritty of whatever. And that's my approach. And I think that is a, quite a Mancunian thing. I think we're just super friendly and we're interested uh, and we're nosy and we care, um, you know, so you can dress it up however you want. Um, I just, you know, I'm very, very proud to come from Manchester. I love the city. I love the city region, its diversity, its culture, everything about it. So I'm absolutely going to sell that as part of who I am because it's true. And I want to know, based on that, which of our values really speaks to you? Because I think I know. Well, I've got my view on what that is. Do you know what, Lisa? It's so funny because I literally feel like I'm aligned. I feel like I'm like your ideal employee. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm after a job, but oh my gosh, when I was reading these. There's a few. Um, and this might be down to my Libra and disposition in that I balance everything. And I'm like, oh, right. Mm. Do I ever make a decision? Yes, I do. <laughs> I suppose the three, there was three that, well, four actually that really stuck out for me. Humility, the admit it, fix it, move on, I think is mm. is important because, you know, particularly in sport, it's laced with egos and I'm just not into that. Leave them at the door for me. Mm -hmm. um, the preparation, prepare to win so we can win. You know, I overly prepare sometimes. Uh, it's quite, it's quite <laughs> funny. Um, but preparation is everything. You know, people always mm. say, uh, you know, um, oh, aren't you lucky? Yeah, of course there's elements of luck, but you've got to remember the 10, 15 years of effort you've put in first that kind of opened up them doors to create those opportunities. So I do think there's that. The other one is planting the trees you'll never see. Um, legacy is so important. And, you know, I firmly believe in supporting other people and giving people a, a hand up the ladder, not closing mm. the door on them. I think that's massive. Um, but I suppose the one that probably if I had to make a decision and nail it to the mass it would be interesting to see whether you agree <laughs> was the loyalty always purposeful relationships piece is everything I want to deal with genuine people and I want to say thank you to those people for everything they've done for me and I want to be able to help people so everything for me starts with people um, and mm. I would say that's the one that you know if I had to nail my flag to the mass that that would be it <laughs> 
Right, I won then. I Did got you? that one. <laughs> yeah. I'm a long-winded way totally. of getting there. I apologize. Totally. I mean, you are a connector and you're a champion of people. And, you know, I know how much you do call people out for the great stuff that they've done. You know, you've, all your social media is all about that. It's never about you. It's always about the other people and giving them a platform on your platform, which I think is actually wonderful, amazing value. Who champions you? There are a few people, I would say. I mean... My husband's always banging the drum for me. He's a good egg. I've give him a little shout out. But then equally, you know, my friends, you know, I have an amazing group of girls. Um, we've got a crazy PMA WhatsApp group that, you know, we, we all champion each other. And, and it's just wonderful. Like I've got massive respect for the girls and what they do. And, you know, they're brilliant. They do champion me. You know, you've mentioned Chris Brindley. He champions me everywhere. He's he's like my walking advocate. Uh, you know, I owe I owe him I owe him so much. But he's brilliant. He's taught me an awful lot, um, and yeah. he's really really challenged me at times as well, which is important because we can easily sort of get in that comfort zone and stay there. There are lots of people that champion me that I don't even know about until somebody says to me, and I'm like, what? That's crazy. Um, yeah. So I just feel really humbled by that. Um, you know, and if I can positively affect somebody's life or organization and then they want to tell other people you know that's the best marketing for an individual or an organization that you can ever wish for so mm-hmm. yeah there are lots of people out there that I, I don't know but I'm but I hear and it's always so lovely just going back to planting trees you've done loads of legacy work and I know that's what drives you but is the one particular thing that you would want to be remembered for I think the legacy piece for me is about helping people and probably particularly helping on the equality agenda, particularly around gender equality. You know, I have a 12-year-old daughter. The world is her oyster, and I feel genuinely that it's my responsibility to make sure that her and her friends don't necessarily encounter some of the prejudice that I've faced uh, in my career, you know, and I've had amazing champions of me and great male champions, but equally they've been male and female who kind of want to bring that down, want to close doors rather than open them. So I feel, you know, a responsibility that, you know, my daughter can do what she wants. And I constantly say to her brothers, you have a sister, you need to think about this, you need to think about that. And, you know, life lessons, (laughs) they hate that. Mom, we don't need any more life lessons. Well, it's important <laughs> that you get them. You know, they're asking about what's going on on the TV at the moment and all, all those things. And mm. it's important, it's as important for me to educate my sons as it is mm-hmm. to educate my daughter that anything is possible. Um, you know, and I, so I suppose a lot of the coaching and the mentoring work and the speaking at events about kind of gender equalities is massively important to me. Yeah, that's very, very important. <laughs> Also important, quick fire round. <laughs> they are a bit sporty, these, Yvonne, but anyway, go with mm-hmm. me. Uh, which Greater Manchester sports teams do you support? Well, I'd have to say Salford City, wouldn't I? Because that, that would yeah. be terrible uh, <laughs> <laughs> if I didn't. But then I'd also have to say Stockport County because they're kind of just up the road. So that's important with that with that local angle. Listen, I love I love so much sport. So I'll, you know, I'll, I'll watch rugby, you know, Manchester Thunder, obviously. Mm. Netball franchise here, champions, amazing. Although not the best weekend last weekend, but I'm sure they'll bounce back from that. So, yeah, I love... I love all of that. I'm not going to go with the big Premier League teams. Neither of them mm. are my uh, my personal preference, so we'll leave that one. <laughs> oh, I just can't wait to get back to live sport, though. I mean, I it's every weekend it comes around and you kind of think, not again, we're missing it. I know. Um, inspirational sporting Manx. I'd probably go... I mean, I'd have to say Gary, Gary Neville. You like... would already be very, very <laughs> upset with you. <laughs> with do, you know, do you know, though... Um, <laughs> I mean, he ruined my childhood playing for Man United, not going to lie. So I'm not going to go on that front. And I've said that to him and, and others uh, as a football fan. But, um, you know, just just in terms of, like, the energy and the ambition and just his relentless nature to just get mm. things done and cut through the crap, like, just really inspirational and a genuinely good human being. Like, I can't rate him highly enough, so... He certainly won. Then equally, you know, look at his sister, Tracy. Like, she's brilliant. She's achieved mm-hmm. so much. 
and now she's just back at Thunder again. You know, for, for women, she's a great advocate for coaching and for participation. So, yeah, she, she'd be another one, definitely. Favourite Manchester sporting moment? Oh, so I'd probably say at the Commonwealth Games, to be honest. Like, that was just being at the regional arena and watching the athletics like it was just immense um totally just unbelievable like the way the city sort of and I got to carry the um the baton in the torch relay which was really cool um for volunteering as a youngster so that was nice recognition so yeah Commonwealth Games for me probably just one of them the city was alive and you know some of those people that volunteered still, well, they're not doing it now, obviously, but would meet at Sports City mm. in the last couple of years. They'd even wear parts of their kit, like that Cadbury's kit. It was incredible, like the relationships. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and you'd have a chat with them. It's just amazing. So yeah. There's a woman that lives near us who still wears it. I mean, regularly see her out walking <laughs> in that purple. I'm sure my, I must have mine in my loft somewhere. <laughs> I know. Oh, but yeah, carrying the torch must have been amazing. I'm, I'm, it, it was what an you know it was an cool. honour that was. Yeah, you know? near Manchester um, Airport, I did it. Did you <laughs> up a bit of an hill as well? <laughs> <laughs> we went out to watch loads of people do that. Their stretch. Um, what was your order at the chippy? Oh, chips and gravy on a bam, or cheese and onion pie, chips and gravy would be my uh, mm. definitely. The whole the cheese onion pie and the gravy. I mean, we did that at her, in Salford. I've done for a long time, but some people are actually, you know, up in arms about that combo. But it definitely works. I mean, if you put tomato sauce in there as well, you're winning in life. There's just nothing better. <laughs> Don't know about that. <laughs> what do you miss most about Manchester when you're not here? People, I think, just the, the cheery disposition. Like you walk down. I mean, it's awful now, isn't it, with the face masks? Like mm. it's horrendous because. I didn't realise how much I rely on people's facial expressions to kind of just brighten my day. Uh, you can't see people smiling. But yeah, when you walk down the street, like people smile and people will say hello. And, you know, everyone, yeah, all right, you'll get some busy people that just walk on by. But generally, you'll get that sort of friendly nature. You don't necessarily get that in other places. No. Yeah, it's definitely special here for mm. sure. So just finally, Yvonne, you know, you undeniably have a track record in leading people to achieve and in some cases help people to achieve some things that they never thought they could. So what would you say to somebody right now who's nursing a big dream that they just don't think is maybe possible? I would say stop thinking about what you can't do and why you can't do it and start writing that list of why you absolutely should do it and the skills that you've got. Nobody is the finished article. So we're all learning along the way. So just take the leap, make a start and ask for help along the way. That's so key, isn't it? People will help if you ask. Of course they will, yeah. That's really important. Thank you so much for joining me on We Built This City. Um, You're a connector, a collaborator and a communicator and you're really, for me, a true champion of other people and you definitely have a non-judgmental Mancunian disposition. (laughs) (laughs) So good luck with Strive. You'll smash it, I know you will. And I'm no doubt that you'll take lots of other people along the way in your success with you. So thank you so much and good luck. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Yvonne Harrison has helped to build the city by getting Manchester moving, by always joining the dots, and by being a nosy mank who really cares about people. We Built This City is out every Thursday when you'll hear from another incredible Greater Mancunian. If you want to find more out about Roland Dransel PR and you'd like some help in creating your legacy, please head to rdpr.co.uk for more information or give us a call on the same number we've had for 24 years 0161 236 1122. Thank you and see you next time.